things. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to take some classes from her uh, where she's a professor at La Sierra University uh, in the School of Divinity. And uh, taking some classes from her have, have been really influential in my life. And in talking with students and felt, you know, friends who've taken classes from her, you know, you, you want your professor to, to know the material. That's important, and she does. You want your professors to, uh, and teachers to be able to teach the concepts. That's important in a way that's appealing. And what, what takes uh, someone to the next level is when you do it from a place of genuine desire for your students to grow and appreciate the material. And when you're teaching about Jesus and the Gospels, the New Testament, Revelation, and you do it with excitement in a way that you want your students to grow in that knowledge, uh, it's important and it means a lot. One of my friends said, you know, taking her class, you don't just, you know, she doesn't just teach her students about the Bible. She teaches her students to be students of the Bible. It's a compliment. And so we're grateful to have you back with us. And we want to welcome you. And we want to welcome your mom as well. We acknowledge her. She came to first service as well. So two services, camp meeting style. That's a lot of love for your daughter. Um, so hope you feel welcome. And uh, glad you're here with us. Thank you so much, Pastor Pablo. It's a joy to be with you. You're very kind. He made me tear up. <laughs> I believe it was four years ago when I was last with you for a worship service here at Calamesa. And on that Sabbath, we were also looking at the book of Revelation. We were thinking about looking at some of the hymns in the book of Revelation. And I was just wondering, since that Sabbath four years ago, what songs have you sung? Now, we've heard Pro Deo share some singing together. And we as a congregation have done some hymn singing together. We've, we've sung Amazing Grace this morning together and other songs as well. But I'm imagining the last four years of our lives, what songs have we sung? Whether or not we have that gift of singing in front of others, what songs have you sung? Perhaps just alone in your car. Perhaps with others. And I also was wondering what prayers have you prayed in the last four years? What prayers have you prayed? Have you prayed for a loved one? Have you prayed for yourself? Have you prayed for your church? Have you prayed for our world? Have you prayed for Syrian refugees and other victims around our world? What, have, what has been the focus of your prayers for the last several years? This past April, I turned again to the book of Revelation, but this time with an eye toward prayer. And some ideas stood out like never before. The book of Revelation asks us to listen. The book of Revelation requires remembering. 
And the book of Revelation invites us to embrace a praying imagination. Let's pray together one more time. Oh, holy God, thank you for this congregation. And please bless us as we study scripture again together this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. First, the book of Revelation asks us to listen. This book is written for people's ears rather than their eyes. It's just verse 3 of this book where we read that there is a blessing for those who hear the words. A blessing. There's also a blessing for the one who reads it out loud. You see, the book of Revelation was written during a time when the vast majority of people could not read and write. So the vast majority of people would have experienced this book with their ears, with one person in the congregation reading it out loud. This book asks us to listen. We hear the words of the one like the Son of Man as he tells John what to write to the churches, concluding each of those seven letters with, let the one who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We hear the singing in the throne room, and we hear the whole universe explode with song when the Lamb takes the scroll. We hear what happens as each seal is opened on that scroll, as living creatures call out, come, and four horses start galloping across Revelation's pages. We hear the numbering of the 144,000 and then hear the singing of the great multitude that no one can count. We hear seven trumpet blasts. We hear the loud voice of a heavenly being giving John a little scroll to eat. We hear the mystery and the ministry of the two witnesses. We hear the description of a woman in white, a dragon, two beasts, seven bulls, and a woman in scarlet. We hear four hallelujahs, a scene of judgment, and the description of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. With few exceptions, this book is much more about listening than it is seeing or talking. We need to listen to it not talk about it. And of course, at this very moment, I realize I'm not doing what I say we should be doing. This book is not so much something we say or even see as something we hear. And while I'm appreciative of the extremely creative visuals used to depict and illustrate the book of Revelation, I think that we do the book an injustice when the visuals take over the hearing experience. Recently, I read a a version of the book set within a graphic novel format. And while I, again, appreciate the effort and the creativity, something was lost. It's much harder to hear the hope while seeing someone's interpretation. In fact, I found myself ignoring the text at times just to see more quickly what happened visually. Instead, Revelation asks us to use our ears. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. But how how to hear faithfully 
when we live in such a visual culture. We even see these days our conversations. Have you thought of that? A few days ago, I realized I'd kept my phone close all day long within an arm's reach, but I'd never actually used it to talk verbally with anyone, even though I'd had multiple conversations throughout the day. Even our conversations are visual. This might be one of the biggest barriers to our understanding of the book of Revelation in the year 2016. This book that promises a blessing to those who listen We must learn to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Second, the book of Revelation requires remembering. Now, please don't despair if your memory just isn't what it used to be. I'm not referring to memorizing lists or remembering the order of the sequence of sevens in the book. Remembering refers to the stories about God that have become part of us. I'm talking about those stories like creation, the fall, the flood, the exodus, Israel's sacrificial system, wilderness wanderings, the land of promise, the temple in Jerusalem, going into exile, and after exile, experiencing homecoming. These major ideas and images from the Old Testament are remembered and reworked in the book of Revelation. Consider how so much of the New Testament, the Gospels and the works of Paul, think of how much of those works remember the Old Testament, but now through the Jesus story. For example, Life in Jesus is referred to in Paul as a new creation. Jesus giving his life a ransom for many is a new type of exodus. This time, you're freed from slavery to sin. Jesus' 40 days wandering in the wilderness reminds us, of course, of Israel's 40 years wandering. The temple in Jerusalem might be destroyed by Rome. By John's day, it had been. But followers of Jesus don't need to despair because Jesus has become the new temple. These major ideas from the Old Testament that are reworked in the new are transformed yet again in the book of Revelation. Not only will creation be renewed at the end of the book, Sin's self-destructiveness will be exposed by showing creation working in reverse as the earth and the sea and the skies and all life forms are affected. Prior to the first exodus, the exodus from slavery in Egypt, there were plagues. In Revelation, plagues again precede freedom from slavery. They are echoed in the trumpet blasts and the final bowl plagues, reminding those hearing Revelation of the call to repent, repent, Pharaoh, repent all who oppress others. Like Israel, the church in the book of Revelation, now described as a woman, lives in the wilderness, a place of both trial and protection a place of wandering and of miracles. 
Israel's treasured place, that temple in Jerusalem, is nowhere to be found in the new Jerusalem. For in the new Jerusalem, God is present everywhere, no longer restricted to one building or within one nation. As we remember these stories, we see the book of Revelation reworking, reimagining their imagery in light of the Jesus story. After all, this is the book that begins the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the Jesus story, stop now. Put down the book of Revelation and read the Gospels. If we don't know the Jesus story, we will do horrible misreadings of the book of Revelation. Some have even done deadly readings of the book of Revelation. So if you don't know the Jesus story, stop here, read the Gospels, and learn about the most unusual everyday man who put people before policies, who touched the untouchable, who explained the sacred traditions of God in ways that drew people in who couldn't read and yet baffled scholars. Read about a most unusual everyday man who called his followers to do something outrageous, to pick up a cross and to follow him as he carried his cross. The book of Revelation begins. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. But that first verse can also be translated the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And if you have heard the stories of Jesus before, prepare for this apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Jesus in apocalyptic language. It's a jarring genre or form of writing. It's unsettling as it works with themes of creation and salvation in a new way. This isn't the Galilean teacher-preacher man. This is the cosmic Christ. This is the apocalypse of Jesus, Jesus in a new way. There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation and over 500 allusions to the Old Testament. While there's never a direct quote, there are more allusions than there are verses. John is immersed in scripture. He knows his Bible, but he's not repeating it. He's recreating it. He's creating something new with the old. He's finding treasures new and old. This is another reason I don't think graphic depictions and other visuals work as well because John is alluding to literary texts, not visual ones. We don't know what the Exodus plagues looked like, so we shouldn't draw Revelation's plagues. Instead, our imaginations need to make that connection and transformation from Egypt to our world today. Our imaginations, not our eyes. And this leads us to the third point. The book of Revelation invites us to have a praying imagination. The book of Revelation re invites us to listen. It requires remembering. And the book of Revelation invites us to embrace a praying imagination. The subtitle to Eugene Peterson's book, 
on Revelation called Reversed Thunder. His subtitle is called The Revelation of John and the Praying Imagination. What is a praying imagination? Well, if John's inspired imagination is what moved him from scripture to writing his book, our praying imagination is what moves us from the book of Revelation to our lives and actions today. It's a holding together of submission before the text, praying, listening, along with using our imaginations to hear scripture's stories again and again, but in a new way, and responding with our lives. To hear about Jesus' life, not as a teacher and preacher and miracle worker walking through the villages of Galilee, but as the cosmic healer of the nations. The cosmic Christ offering salvation to all beings in the entire universe and beyond. That picture of Jesus is what Revelation invites us to see and to hear about. We as hearers are invited to embrace a praying imagination, one that listens and remembers and imagines something new. In the book of Revelation, we are revisiting scripture. We are hearing it again, but not in a locked-in, memorized way. Now, apocalyptic literature refuses all of that. This type of literature is very different from a list of rules or predictions or codes to be broken. Here, theology lives again in story and in poetry. God remains outside of all the boxes Israel created, and all the boxes that we create. God's word will not be silenced or suppressed. God will not be suppressed, even if there are at times when we pick up this book and we are tempted to put God into a much more comfortable box. But scripture isn't for making us comfortable, for supporting our own convictions and arguments and doctrines and fundamental beliefs. Scripture gives new understanding. With all the richness of symbols, the book of Revelation wakes us up to hear with new ears. We experience the poetry of the book, the language of imagination and possibilities. John is not only a theologian and a pastor, John is a poet, inspired by God, while on the island called Patmos. The book of Revelation asks us to listen. The book of Revelation requires remembering. The book of Revelation invites us to embrace a praying imagination. Hear with me these words from the first chapter of the book of Revelation. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. And then I turned 
to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining with full force. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. Some might not consider this a prayer. John, the character in the scene, says nothing. Lying prostrate on the ground in front of the one like the Son of Man, John doesn't speak. He can't. He tells us only later, I fell at his feet as though dead. We haven't even finished chapter one and the imagery is so overwhelming, the task so daunting, the vision so startling that John is flat on the ground. Perhaps this isn't a prayer. On the other hand, it might be the only kind of prayer many of us have prayed when faced with this final book of the Christian Bible. Did you ever as a teenager, or perhaps more recently, decide that you're gonna read through the whole Bible? Genesis and Exodus, hey, they're interesting. And somehow you get through Leviticus and Numbers Then you get through the prophets who begin to sound a little bit alike after a while. And then then you make it into the New Testament, the Gospels, and then Paul's letters, which also have, they begin to sound a lot alike after a while. And then, then after that strange but luckily short book of Jude, you make it into the final book, the book of Revelation, But then, then, when you got there, did you feel like falling on the ground? Unable to speak? Terrified? Will these scary scenes play out? And will I be the recipient of God's wrath? One of my students, Winter Quarter, who is joining Revelation class, talked with me about the baggage that she brought to the course. She wanted to be honest with me. Why should I read a book, she asked, where sinners are going to burn in hell? Why should I want to follow a religion where if you don't choose God, you die? How many of us join John on the floor even before we finish chapter one? Do not be afraid. What was that? What was that? Did you hear what the one like the Son of Man says to John? 
to the hearers of this book? Did you realize that this book that's been so scary to so many of us begins with the words, do not be afraid? Can it be? When I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead, but he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Are you fearful that death is going to win? That you might not beat the disease this time around? That you might not see that loved one again? That this world is just going too crazy? Do not be afraid, says the one like the Son of Man, the Christ figure in the book of Revelation. Do not be afraid. Do you imagine him touching John's shoulder Or do you picture him touching him on the back or maybe on the head? At the moment when John is the most terrified, when he's on the ground, perhaps wanting to pray, but without any words to do so, the Christ figure places his right hand on John and says, do not be afraid. But but our world's gone awry. You can get blown up on a subway train or while checking in your luggage at an airport or shot at a Christmas party, do not be afraid. But sometimes it feels like not only our world's gone crazy, our nation has, or perhaps even our church. Do not be afraid. But but when I start to read the book of Revelation and think about the last days, I'm reminded of how concerned I am for that child, for that grandchild. Do not be afraid. But there's so much to be afraid of. Do not be afraid. Whatever our anxieties, as we hear this final book of the Bible, we must hear the words of the one like the Son of Man in this very first scene of the book as he bends down and puts his hand on John and says, do not be afraid. If that first prayer scene in the book of Revelation is one of fear turned into reassurance, another scene begins in weeping. Revelation chapter five, verse one says that then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I heard a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly. There is prayer that is only weeping. While I hope you don't know what I mean, I suspect that most of you do. There is prayer that is only weeping. And one of the things I appreciate the most about the book of Revelation is its rawness. It never pretends that everything is okay or that there's a quick fix to the problems of this world. Prayer in Revelation is never Pollyannish, 
nor is it merely an activity for the pious. Rather, in the book of Revelation, prayer is raw and it is real. It's far more about weeping and listening than it is about talking. John weeps at all that's wrong with our world. And then, when the Lamb steps forward and takes the scroll, just before the universe explodes with singing, there is a description of four living creatures and 24 elders, each holding two things, a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which we are told by Scripture are the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints our prayers. So we know that a saint is a saved sinner, right? The prayers of the saints. This is one of three times in the book of Revelation where this phrase is used. And the ones holding the prayers of the saints proclaim to the Lamb, you're worthy to take the scroll. And then they're joined by a chorus of angelic uh, voices, myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice, worthy is the Lamb. This glorious worship scene includes the actual words of a prayer. And it's the opening of the fifth seal where we hear the prayer of those who are under the altar, that is, those who had been killed for their testimony to the word of God. They call out in a prayer, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long? How long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood on the inhabitants of the earth? And while we might want to assist them a bit with their revenge theology, it's their prayer, not ours. Their prayer is, how long, O Lord? And that part I bet we can relate to. How long, O Lord? How long will injustice rule rather than justice? How long? And they're told to be patient to rest for now, reminded that they're wearing robes provided by God. Their salvation is secure. And they are under the altar, covered by the sacrifice. And the next time the word altar appears in the book of Revelation, the worthy lamb has opened the seventh and final seal of that scroll. And it says that there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Eugene Peterson says that this scene is God listening to all those prayers of the people. Chapter 8, verse 3 reads like this. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Twice that phrase, prayers of the saints, prayers of all the saints. The prayers are described as mixed with incense and fire from the altar and they go before the throne of God. They go into God's very presence. Human prayers going up before God. Have you ever been to the Walt Disney Concert Hall? If you've been there, And if you've been there when the master chorale is performing, hundreds of voices there together in that beautiful space, the sound is 
it creates a sense of awe and mystery and glory and hope and a feeling inside that there aren't words for welling up and a lump in the throat and, and the good kind of tears. You know what I mean? The good kind of tears that you can't hold back and you wouldn't want to anyway because it's a moment and there just aren't words. And then, if you've been there and the music stops suddenly, those hundreds of voices all stop together and something like a whisper goes right up to the top of that structure, right up to the ceiling, to the rafters of that beautiful space, like, like our prayers going up to God. What if hearing the book of Revelation, what if it were like that? Our prayers going up to God. When my brother was seven, there were two women in our local church who were struggling with very serious illnesses. And he heard about them during the prayer time once at church. And he decided that he would add these two women to his prayers each night before bedtime. And I remember listening to my brother's sweet, sincere, and innocent voice every night, every night, praying for Karen George and Carol Hetzel. That Jesus would heal them, these two women that he hadn't met. And then Miss Hetzel died. And my brother was heartbroken. It was my first experience with the problem of human suffering and a good God. How could the prayers of my little brother not work? His prayers were completely unselfish. In more recent years, I've found comfort in the idea that our prayers are included in the book of Revelation. The phrase, prayers of the saints, is repeated lest we miss it. And here it is, the prayers of all the saints. They're mixed with incense and fire from the altar, the altar where the martyred cry out how long as they ask for justice. And the prayers of the saints include our prayers too, include the prayers of seven-year-olds and the prayers of their older sisters, not understanding why the prayers of healing aren't always answered. All of those prayers go up to God and heaven quiets as God listens to our prayers. Our prayers are part of this final book of scripture. God, please, when that's all we can get out in a prayer, God, please, heal her, save him. Oh God, I want to live. Oh God, I'm lonely. Lord, I'm afraid. I'm really afraid. Father, forgive them. Take this cup from me. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? Not my will, but thine be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. After the prayers with the incense go up, 
after the visions are over, after evil has been exposed and a new creation begun, John, the letter writer, returns and we hear his voice in a final prayer. Amen, come, Lord Jesus. A final prayer. It's the last moment in the book of Revelation and John is still praying. Those hearing the book leave the book hearing a prayer. May we leave this book listening, remembering, praying, because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord give you peace now and forever. Amen.